The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. My question is, what do you do when your values and your personality type don't necessarily line up. In today's episode, our listener, Ariel, shares a story of solo entrepreneurship. I know so many of us have a similar experience that we often hear, you know, where half of the day-to-day work really lights her up, but the other half is a heavier lift, as can often happen when you're trying to wear all hats. Ariel has this sense that she could expand her team and grow the business, but is kind of questioning if that's in alignment for her. She poses the question, what do you do when your values and your personality type or your impulses for work don't necessarily feel like they line up? And how do we untangle external influence with our own personal drivers when making these big decisions? And I know she is not alone. That's something I've grappled with for years now. And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is Deborah Owens. After a long career in leadership in some of the biggest companies in the world, Deborah founded her own consulting firm, Corporate Alley Cat, where she advises and coaches people of color in all aspects of career visioning and development. She has this incredible ability to see what's happening underneath the surface in any given situation and ask questions that get to the heart of the matter and reveal possibilities that feel both empowering and expansive. And a quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call the sparkotypes in conversation. So what is that? Well, it turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they just begin to make more sense. And until you know yours, well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now on to Ariel's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hello, Jonathan and team. I'm super excited to be sharing this question with you. My name is Ariel. My pronouns are she, her. My bigger picture context of my life is that I am 28 years old, living in Denver, Colorado, loving adventuring out here and exploring. I run a coaching business where I help people figure out work that's going to be most fulfilling for them. And I'm in the first couple years of growing that business and learning a lot along the way. And I would say what's working, what's not working is I know the work that I am meant to do. I am the advisor. So this clearly lines up pretty accurately with where I'm at and what I'm focusing in on. The advisor profile describes me to a T. I am someone that creates safety and trust for others. And my core driver is really understanding and reading others to 
connect with them and then guide them to higher levels of consciousness and understanding um, so that they can take their life to the next level and really figure out what's going to be most meaningful to them. And that part of my work, the work itself is amazing and so fulfilling. And I think at the same time, I'm of course going through the normal struggles that anyone would in the beginning stages of building a business. And of course, a lot of the work I'm doing is not necessarily aligned with my sparkotype. Um, my anti-sparkotype is the essentialist. So the organization and planning and processes are not are not core drivers of mine. And um, I think what's also coming up is because I'm not a maker, um, that's not my core sparkotype, my drive to create and build something is not as strong as my drive to just connect with people and, and do the coaching work itself. And I'm seeing this misalignment now as I'm learning more about the sparkotype process and evaluation and trying to think about the future that I want to build for myself. And my question is, what do you do when your values and your personality type don't necessarily line up? So I remember hearing an interview with Adam Grant and he said that sometimes you have to sacrifice your personality for your values. And he was speaking in reference to becoming a teacher, which at the time when he first started out, he was not excited about. He was an introvert and did not want to do this role where he got up and spoke in front of people. But he really felt like he had an important message to share. And that was the avenue to do it. And so I feel like I'm in this moment where my value is I'm so clear on my message and my mission and sharing that with the world. And I really want to be able to run something on my own and have the autonomy and flexibility that comes with that, which is a value that was probably imparted on me from my parents and the entrepreneurial lifestyles that they live. And so I've always had that kind of external influence on me, but I wouldn't say my natural personality type is one to build or create something. And so I'm seeing this conflict come up between what I really enjoy doing and the larger values of where I see my work going. Part of me really just wants to be part of a team and not need to worry about the building and the making and the creating and the organizing and the processes. And part of me realizes that that's also just part of the beginning stages of the process. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. 
Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So interesting. There, there, and there's so many things that jump out that I think we're, we're going to have fun diving into. When you listen in and you hear Ariel's different drivers and the way that she's feeling, what are the things that sort of like jump out at you most strongly or most immediately? The things that jump out for me, Jonathan, and I so wish we could talk to people live because I'd have a couple of questions just to start off with. But something that jumped out to me is how she's defining values and personality and alignment. I think maybe we need some clarity and definition around that. The other thing that's interesting is that she says that she's not a maker and she doesn't want to build something, but yet she does want to build something, right? And I I just made a note of this. I think it's at least three times that she said she's in the early stage of the business, So there may be something also around expectations. Those are the things that just jumped out at me like immediately. Those are the things like I need a little clarity here. Yeah, you know, those jumped out at me as well. So let's let's dive into to those two. And, and I think we may end up sort of like uh, morphing out as we often do into some different directions as well. You know, because I think you, you keyed on something really important and that is, well, one, maybe a little bit of myth busting, you know, in, in the Sparkotype system and just like every other typing index or something like that, simply because something doesn't show up as like your number one or your number two doesn't mean that it's not in you. Um, it just means it's not as strong an impulse, you know? So, so first I think we just need to sort of like say, okay, so this may actually be a part of you and maybe you're, you don't even own that. And there's also, there's a fear element that happens with the process of creation, no matter whether you have the impulse, whether like the maker is like this primary driver for you or not, there is a fear element that comes into our experience when we're starting something new and I'm raising my hand at, and for sure, like I'm, I'm sure you felt that you left, you know, like a big, long, high powered career in industry to start your own thing. I guarantee there were a, a whole bunch of sleepless nights where you're like, uh, I don't know if this is right for me. So I think it's important to address sort of like the the psychology of the early stage of starting your own thing, whether you identify as a maker or not. I'm, I'm curious what your take is on that. So I really want to go back one step if we could, Jonathan, yeah. because I really think, and, and you actually alluded to this, this thing about values and personality. So I see values as those guiding principles in your life, whether you're at work, at home, or play. Those are your core principles that you really live by. That's how I think about values. So those never change. Personality is something that you can flex when required. So I am an extrovert in the sense that I get my energy from other people, not that I'm always the life of the party, but I get my energy from talking to other people, right? My husband is totally different. He can sit at a desk for eight hours and never talk to a soul, and he would be perfectly happy, which is why I always, every two hours, I have to go to his home office and just chat with him and, dis- <laughs> and, and disturb him, right? So I can have some, some human connection. So I just want to make sure that values is one thing. Personality and I think actually in this situation, maybe personality might be more reflective of your style, how you prefer to express yourself, right? And so when she gave the example of Adam Grant, he's an introvert. 
So he's going to have to kind of develop that muscle to get out in front of people in a way that his values are still intact, right? But that allows him to still get his message across. So I found that some of that is skill building. And so that's the first thing. I, I think the terminology is is confusing, right? So values never change. Your style and how you like to express yourself, you can have a core way that you're most comfortable with, but that doesn't mean you can't do it in other ways, other mediums, right? Right. It's like you can, you, so what you're saying is, there are things that can come natural to you and naturally energize or deplete you, but that doesn't mean that we can't build the skill to be able to to perform those roles or activities in a way, and often at a really high level. It doesn't mean you're still going to love doing them, and, and you may end up having to recover from it, but we can become really competent at those things still. Right. Um, I feel like I'm always hiding from my, my accountant because <laughs> I hate having to go into these deep dive conversations and the numbers and the detail, which is so critical, which is why I hired her. But it's not my happy place. It's not the place that gives me joy, but it's part of running a business. So as a matter of fact, I've set up my relationship differently so that we have to talk more frequently, right? Because I know there's a lot of things that I wouldn't do on my own. Part of that is sometimes you you just have to build the skills that are not your strength or they may not come natural to you. You don't have to master them. And I think that's the other thing. You don't have to master them, but there are certain things that you have to do if you want to run a business. And because she said she wasn't a maker or she didn't want to run a business, but then she says, I do want to run a business because I want that flexibility and I that autonomy. My gut feeling, can we use gut feelings on this show? Sure. <laughs> okay. My gut feeling, this is my gut feeling when I heard it, is this is someone who's early in the business. It's frustrating. It's overwhelming. There are aspects of it that are not fun. And she does want to possibly own something, but she's in that uncomfortable, frustrating space where you're trying to, where you started a business so you can do the things you love. That's why a lot of people started their business. I want to do what I love. But then you find out there's a whole nother aspect to being able to live that lifestyle. You've got a plan. You have to have a strategy. You have to have a vision. I've worked with people, Jonathan, and they don't want to sell anything. They're like, I, I don't want to sell my services because that's uncomfortable to them. But that's part of the process. So that really is my gut feeling. And maybe she just needs to hear, it's okay. Everybody goes through that. I can probably speak for every entrepreneur. You know, at some point you probably said, is it worth it? Should I just go back to corporate and get my nice comfy paycheck, right? But I think if she really feels like this is what I'm meant to do, then create that team that can help her. And that as the business grows, can take some things off of her plate. Because it won't always be like that. That's what I want her to know. It won't always be like this. Yeah. No, you and I are so much on the same page with this. You know, we've we've both started things. I think I'm like five companies in at this point mm -hmm. or something like that. And there has never been anything that I have started where I didn't go through like what, what in the tech world I've heard phrased as um, 
the trough of sorrow, <laughs> you know, or the dark night of the soul. It's like, yeah. you've got a vision, you know, you're good at a particular skill or service, and that's the thing you want to spend all your time doing. But, but to have that sense of autonomy and control and, and eventually freedom and control, and, and if you have a value around financial integrity to be able to earn what you want to earn, there's a season that we all go through. You know, it's that startup phase, which can last for years, by the way. Until we build enough structure and systems and people and process around it, and we're generating enough revenue to be able to fund all of that, there's that middle thing that can last anywhere from months to years. Um, and sometimes I wonder whether it's a bit of a, a, a game of will, you know, like, can I sustain doing all the things that I'm a, like I'm, I'm not, I don't want to do. They're more depleting and maybe I'm not, I'm not super skilled at doing them, but they're necessary for me to get this thing to a place where I can step into that mode where I'm just being of service. I'm just doing like the narrow, narrower set of things that I really want to do and nourish me. Can I get to that place? Like, and, and how do I get there? Cause I, I think you're right. I think my take on what Ariel was sharing also is really similar in that it's less about subjugating parts of yourself and saying, this is just, you know, I'm going to have to be a different person. It's more about saying there's this window in the early part of every business. And the unfortunate thing is that, and I don't know if you've seen this with your with yourself or with your clients, um, but what I've seen over time is that most people actually never leave that window because they start to feel like, oh, this is just the way it is being in business. I'm always going to have to do these other things rather than saying, well, actually, if I look ahead and I say, what would it take for me to build this to a level where I effectively buy my way out of having to do all of these different things? And am I willing to actually work that hard and sacrifice that much for that amount of time to get there? And then a lot of people would say yes to that if they saw this as a transitional phase. But I think a lot of folks are just, they get to a point where like, oh, this is just the way that being a business for myself is, I guess. There's enough good here that I'll just suck suck up the bad. And then they stay in that window for years and years and years and years, never realizing that it's really intended to be transitional and there is a way to move through it. Um, and they just assume, well, this is the cost of doing business. This is being an entrepreneur. That's been my experience, at least. It's been the experience in conversation and consulting and working with a lot of people. I'm curious whether whether you sort of like look at it the same way. Well, the first thing, and I just jotted this down, is freedom is not free. Mm. <laughs> right? Freedom comes with a cost. And that doesn't mean that you have to do all of these things that deplete you. But one of the words you use, Jonathan, that I love, you use it every time we talk, and it's it's becoming one of my favorite words, is reimagine. Mm. And the reason I like that is because, to me, that word represents hope opportunity, seeing something through a different lens, right? So what you're experiencing now, what I would have told my younger self five years ago is that try to reimagine a way that you can run your business and you can stay in your genius zone, if you will, but you can build a team of people who will take the other things off your plate. Now you will still have to be a part of that, but you can eventually build a team so that you will have more time to be in your zone of genius. And I think what's great right now, and it's probably not the time to get into it, but for 
entrepreneurs now, I think there's so many ways you can get help and support like you couldn't before. Like it's crazy. You can find anybody to do anything at all different skill levels, right? And all different prices. So if she can kind of reimagine what her business could be three years down the road, because I think for new business entrepreneurs, this is something like one to five years. And I have to tell you, and I'm, I'm being totally honest here, mine hit at my fifth year. I was like, I'm the statistic, right? I didn't really turn the corner corner until my fifth year. And then it was kind of like, what happened? And so you realize that all of the things that you've been working on have come together. Some people do it. We all hear those stories. Some people do it in six months. You know, some people do it in a year. But the majority of people, it takes some time. And as you're going through that process, and you probably know this because you've been very successful in your ventures and you've also worked with a lot of people, is that there's a, in that transition piece, there's also a lot of clarity, clarification that's going every step of the way, right? And so I would also say you can get the support you need. It's early on, and I know it probably doesn't feel like it in two years, but how you see your business now, it may not be that in five years, right? Because you're going to get some clarity and maybe it's, it could be something where you have a partner. Maybe you, you, you know, you have a partner, maybe you work in some type of collective, maybe you work with an organization that provides coaches, right? There's so many different avenues to explore. There are places now that just hire coaches. I think if you can kind of pull yourself out of the spot you're in and kind of look at the possibilities, there are options out there, even in the early stages that may be doable. I think the big thing is getting yourself around the right people, the right team. Um, In the corporate space, we always talk about mentors and advocates, but that is never more true than in the entrepreneurial space. You need somebody who's ahead of you. So you don't have to find all of those things on your own who can shorten your learning curve. And there's so many masterminds and Facebook groups and a lot of resources out there that don't really take a large financial commitment, I think could be very helpful. I think the real question is, are you willing to take the time to develop those skills, understanding that they're going to be critical? Even when you can hire everybody out, you're still going to have to be part of that process, right? Like that that part never goes away. But what I found is the more support I've gotten, the better that experience, those experiences are, right? So the question is for me is how committed are you to having your own business versus just going and working as a coach and simply just doing that? Are you willing to take the time to develop the skills to make a difference, and the work you're to bring, you know, to basically bring your vision to life. I love that. And there's what it brings up for me also is this um, is the notion of scale. And it's interesting because Ariel also shared. It sounds like her her parents live entrepreneurial lifestyle. So so she probably sees like, oh well, this is kind of the way that you do it. And sometimes you know when you're brought up in families, I've seen where where parents or guardians, those you look to, have have sort of like more traditional mainstream jobs in in companies. Very often that becomes the bent or the ethos in the family. Like that's the safe way you do it. That's how we do it. That's how we provided for the family. And that's, and then when you're brought up in environments where they're like super creative or entrepreneurial and that, and, and much more open to risk and uncertainty um, and it's worked out, well, that becomes the ethos, the culture of the family and the expectation. 
Um, and, and there's a certain permissiveness and expectation and invitation to explore the same thing too. I almost wonder whether sometimes in those situations that when you have parents that have chosen this and are wired for it and sustain themselves and really succeeded, and you as you know, like a part of that family see that and you want the benefits of it, but you also may not have seen all of the suffering and the struggle that happened for years, maybe when you were younger, maybe your parents shared it, but, but a lot of times in circumstances I'm aware of, parents keep that from the kids because they want to keep them feeling safe and secure, which on the one hand does that, but it also, when a kid then wants to step into the world of entrepreneurship, they don't have the real, the full story of what it really takes and what it really took. Um, and there can be a little bit of awakening, you know, like that, that can happen through conversations that are a little bit more open, but, but you bring up a really interesting issue, which is the, the notion of, of scale and what is the right container for that. So if, if part of her value is living an adventurous life and having freedom and financial stability, like you were saying, it used to mean you had to build your own business these days, the idea of what what that container looks like has been completely blown up. There are so many different ways to do it, especially in a consulting or a coaching or consultative world. There are so many different platforms now that you can leverage. Um, so if you want to build your own team and you want to build your own and you want to have complete power and control, which by the way, you never do as an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's one of the biggest myths of entrepreneurship is like, I want right. control and freedom. It's like, no, right. you always have a boss, if not many, many bosses. It's right. just the way it is. And But if you want to do that, I mean, I happen to really like doing that. You know, I've, I, I run two companies now. One has been there for a decade and one is a startup mode. It's a couple of years old. But like you said, we're just hanging our stride now, like three, four years into it. We're just building out a bigger team now. So it, it takes time and there's a lot of sacrifice along the way until you hit that moment where you start to be in a position where you can build. And that gets me to the scale idea, which is, I think, a big question, maybe a seed we could plant with Ariel is, what is the impact you want to have? Beyond sort of like the values around financial sustainability and freedom, what is the the impact that you want to have? And what do you want your day-to-day -day life to look and feel like? Because if you want to build your own thing and build the structure and the people and the process around it, that may be one of the ways to get there. But like you were suggesting too, there may be a whole set of different alternatives where you can largely outsource the biz dev, outsource the marketing, outsource the lead generation, outsource the client management operations, outsource the accounts, you know, payable and the billing and all of this stuff to platforms. I'm thinking about like in the creative world, you know, like giant platforms or in the service world, like Udemy and Fiverr and places like this mm -hmm. allow you to outsource so much of this stuff and just say yes to the piece that lights you up. And a lot of people do well and they, they get enough out of that and the blend of like not having to do all the parts that empty them out gives them the blend that they want. So I love what you were saying about like what, like ask the what if question, like what if entrepreneurship looked different for me? What are all the different ways that maybe I wouldn't have to build it myself, but partner or collaborate or leverage different platforms that would get me to that place of not having to do that part of it a lot faster. Yeah. And Jonathan, you brought you brought up something that I was thinking, which was when she said her parents were entrepreneurs. So my dad was an attorney. So when it took time when it came time to go to college, what did I want to do? I wanted to be an attorney because that's kind of what I knew. And the fact that her parents, if both of her parents were entrepreneurs and they always ran their own business. Have you really explored what the other options are? 
right? There's a whole nother world where you can do things where you have some level of autonomy, but you can kind of get rid of the financial, the organization. And I'm just wondering, has she taken a really good look into the other ways that you can still live your passion, if you will, in helping people develop and get to their next levels, right? Because sometimes we tend to stay in the space we know, right? And so I would say really get out there. I remember she said early on, she loves to explore and hike. I would take that curiosity and see what else is out there. You can have a partnership with other consulting organizations who have projects and they bring you on for certain projects, right? You can work in a corporation where you just do coaching because now corporations have just people who just coach, right? You can work in the education system. You can work in the university system. You can work in the government. I mean, there's so many areas that can be explored. So I would I would just try to get out there and talk to people. And here's what's so great about today is that you can just hop on LinkedIn and you can find somebody who's a coach. And if you see something in their profile that's similar to yours, you can reach out to them. My accountability partner, I found in a group I was in. Mm. It was it was the craziest thing. I typed in a question and I she had had some experience, so I tagged her. And she says now, Jonathan, that she was like, oh, why did she tag me? I don't really want to respond, right? And so then she looked at some of the stuff that I had contributed and said, okay, I guess I can spend a couple of minutes with her. And that went to a live call four hours later. <laughs> and literally, and that person has been a huge part of the growth of my business mm. because there are a few steps ahead of me, but, and we also have very different strengths. That's the other thing. She's a techno person. She loves, loves, loves technology. That's not what I love. I like it sometimes, but I don't love it. But there are other things that I'm really good at that are things that she didn't like spending her time on. So again, I think it's about getting out there. And I just want to put this out there because I see this with people in corporate, but entrepreneurs ask for help. Don't be scared to ask for help. You know, do you have a cousin who's an accountant? You know, can you help me set up the system? Like ask for help. I've, I've done a version of that. Right. So I would just say, don't be scared to ask for help. And also, this is the other thing they don't tell you about an entrepreneur when you're an entrepreneur and you have means to outsource everything. Right. That means you've got to let go of some of your control or it doesn't work. And that's the tricky part. I mean, it's take it took me about four years to pry my fingers, truly to pry my fingers away from certain aspects of the business. So you also have to be open to bringing other people in and letting them do what they do. Mm, love that. And that's that's hard. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, pretty much, with the exception of a short, weird stint in the law. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm still getting used to that. And then still, it's not, it's not my comfort zone. So zooming back out, big picture, I think, you know, like what we're saying is, you know, the entrepreneurial path is really interesting these days. There are so many different ways to put the piece of the puzzle together. If it feels right to stay in building your own organization, awesome. But also own the fact that there's going to be a season where you're, you're part of the nature of doing that is very often 
saying yes to things that don't organically fill you up and may deplete you until you are resourced on a level where you can bring in the, the team and the systems and the process to do that. And at the same time, ask the questions that, that you've been seeding, which is, well, is this the only way? Like, are there ways, are there platforms, are there relationships, are there organizations out there where they would literally allow me to just step into the part of it that I want to do today and let them handle all the other stuff? So I love that sort of like blended set of explorations. Um, as always, so good chatting with you. Thank you so much for all of your awesome insights. And Ariel, I hope you found this useful. We'll be back with you <laughs> again next week uh, with a new listener and some insights from our awesome brain chest. Take care, everyone. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.